Welcome to the Divine Self Secret Garden Podcast. On today's episode, Tara Woodley, in memory of her daughter, Ashley Lindsay, and I am your host, Megan Corcoran. Secret Garden Podcast. I have a very special episode today with Tara Woodley. It's a tragic story of domestic violence and murder-suicide against her daughter and unborn granddaughter. In 2012, Tara Woodley lost her 20-year-old daughter Ashley Lindsay and her unborn granddaughter Patience Lynn to the brutal act of domestic violence and made national news. Tara Woodley shares the raw truth about domestic violence and gives audiences the opportunity to learn about the impact abuse has on families generationally. Tara, also a survivor, describes the journey from victim to survivor and then the impact her story has made on her family, finding out through the death of her child of a hundred years of history of the cycles of abuse in her family. This knowledge led her to fund an organization in her child and grandchild's honor called the Ashley Patients Project. Through the pain, Tara has fought courts and is working to raise awareness to change laws, not just across the nation, but worldwide. Currently, she is the president of the board of directors of the National Domestic Violence Organization called Break the Silence Against Domestic Violence. Tara told Ashley's story on Investigation Discovery Channel's Your Worst Nightmare and was featured in an article in Cosmopolitan Magazine called Stop Calling It Domestic Violence, It's Intimate Terrorism in the U.S. The U.K. shared her tragic loss in magazines untitled Pick Me Up and Full House. Lastly, Ashley's story is used in the Moving Forward resources to help young women identify the signs of domestic violence in their current and future relationships in Queens Island, Australia. Tara travels the country as a national speaker and Tara's role in activism has been recognized through the awarding of the President, President's Award Volunteerism in 2018, 19, and 2020. You can click on the link below to get more of Ashley's story, the ashleypatientsproject.com, or you can check out the Break the Silence Against Domestic Violence.org and click the links below. Welcome to the Secret Garden today, Tara. All right, welcome, Tara, to the Secret Garden. I am, I don't even know if excited is the word. I know that the story we're about to tell is pretty tragic. But I also think that it is beyond, you know, a story that everybody needs to hear for my listeners. I, um, I am so happy that you're here. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I, um, I asked you to come onto the show. I was watching Worst Nightmare. I'm like binge watching this show for whatever reason. And I think for me, A, I'm building content for my podcast, but B, I think there's a lot of domestic violence stories on that show. And it helps Mm -hmm. me make sense of my own story and just really understand the power and control of domestic violence and how 
unfortunate um, it is that a lot of these stories end in murder. And I know that from volunteering in New York City for so long with domestic violence. And I've seen so many tragic stories um, you know, come, come across the doors in the ER. So if you would like, I kind of want you to start out telling us a little bit about your story. First, I know we've spoken that you have your own domestic violence story and then we'll roll into your daughter's story. No, sure. Yeah. Um, I, my story actually kind of more begins with, you know, it includes a family history and generational type of abuse because growing up, my mother was very disconnected from me and she was disconnected from most of us. And, you know, she had six children and she had a hard time emotionally relating or even saying, I love you. And as a kid, that was very hard to take and understand it. So, you know, um, there was constantly a sense of I was never good enough. Um, You know, my mom didn't mean to be cruel sometimes in these ways, but there was times that, you know, she was, you know, you felt like you were being compared to the other sister or you weren't smart enough or good enough in certain ways. And it wasn't until after my daughter Ashley had passed away, people in the family started talking about that my mother had been molested by a great grandfather who molested my grandmother who molested her mother. He molested generations of women in our family and he abused physically the sons and grandsons. And so we had this whole history that goes back a hundred years leading up to uh, the thing that was building up. I feel like it was like a volcano just waiting to explode in our family. And so for me, my mother thought she was breaking the cycle of this molestation, but the disconnect of trying to connect with somebody who made me feel important, special, and not feel like i I wasn't good enough. Um, And then my mother had several divorces that went on. So that led to more abandonment, more feelings of just like, uh, I would never find happiness. And then um, I met this man in college that I started dating. And of course he He led me to believe that I was the most special thing in the world and that I, (laughs) I was, you know, um, the best thing ever. And I really didn't have a clue in the beginning, but I kind of felt like something was wrong. And, um, I had feelings actually that I should leave and, and we did break up. Um, but I got pregnant Uh, and because I was pregnant. I had this overwhelming feeling of I have to create this family for my daughter. I had all this disconnect and I didn't want my child to feel that, that kind of disconnect, that unworthiness, that lack of love. So I went ahead and married him. And in the beginning we were living with his parents. Um, It was just mostly little things here or there that were like emotional jabs. Um, It wasn't until we moved out when our daughter was, you know, about three or four months old, um, we moved out of his parents' house when the physical abuse started. And it started with an argument on Thanksgiving and coming home from my family. 
And um, I'm not even quite sure after all these years of exactly what the argument was about, but it was something to do with my family and how terrible they were. And, and my daughter, Rachel, um, started crying um, from the crib and I went to go get her in the middle of the argument and he's yelling at me not to walk away. And all of a sudden, like a knife comes whooshing by my head and wow. stuck into the wall. And I was just totally shocked. I was just, just totally bored that this little argument that seemed to be so insignificant went to that level that quick. And from there, you know, because I'm standing in front of that knife of shock, he gets to the baby first. And he's picking her up and saying all kinds of crazy talk that I just have never heard from him before of how he's just a terrible person and that this world is just too much and he wanted to die and he was going to kill himself and he was going to take the baby with him. And I'm just freaked out at this point. So that has to be so scary as a mom too, in that situation, first of all, like your husband has this or your boyfriend Jekyll and Hyde personality. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. and then then they take the, then they bring the baby into it. And that's like a whole nother mm-hmm. level. That is terrifying. I'm like over here, I've got goosebumps. I like, I'm thinking about yeah. this because I can think about my own situation. Thank goodness I didn't have kids, but I would have been terrified if that yes, I was, yeah, I was totally terrifying. And on top of that, I had just taken a home pregnancy test that said I was pregnant again. <laughs> you know, I, and um, I was just, thinking what in the world am I going to do and um, and I what I did was I started telling him to let the baby go and he wouldn't and I actually remember starting beating him on the back to drop the baby drop the baby don't let him walk out the door with the baby and he, he finally let her go and uh, but before he did he had elbowed me in the stomach and I had dropped down to the floor and then um, later on within like 24 hours, I ended up miscarrying that child. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was always a source of contention in our marriage, you know, because I, I felt like he had, you know, killed that child and he was like, it was one of his abuse things that he would do. I don't even know if you really were pregnant because you never got a doctor thing. Yeah. The doctor never said you were yet. What if you were lying to me? And so So classic classic abuser. mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I ended up, you know, a few years later getting pregnant again. That's when I had Ashley, I had the two daughters and um, I was just always, with my with my abuse with him it usually came on during a time when he was drinking and uh, it was a main source of contention during the holidays you know um so it wasn't the the physical abuse wasn't a constant for me it was sporadic but the emotional abuse just every day you're not good enough you're not pretty enough um he used to do things like if he didn't like whatever I was cooking, he would throw it in the trash and tell me to start over. Oh, wow. Um, you know, things like that. And I was just, 
at first it was just a big defiance of my family of I'm going to make this work. This man, you know, has real potential and I was going to help him and I was going to fix him and I was going to make this marriage work. But after a few years into it and two daughters, I was like, I'm afraid to go and leave this man with my children. If he'll do these things at me, he would periodically like try to go after them if they did something or say something. And I would always step in the middle and I would take whatever the abuse was so he wouldn't touch the kids. But I knew he could lose his temper and go after the kids. So I was too afraid to leave and have him have visitation and not know if the kids were safe or yeah. that they could even come and tell me what was going on. So I stayed, I stayed for 13 years. Wow. And I, I think your story yeah. is, is so, uh, so many people I talk to, I hear this where mm-hmm. the mom stays because of kids or money or fear, mm-hmm. or they are from overseas and they marry somebody here. And now if they leave, they're afraid to be deported back. And it's just, and it's so unfortunate because people don't realize, and you explained it so well, these Jekyll and Hyde personalities, like behind closed doors, these people are monsters and they are scared. Scary. There's something that happens mm-hmm. within them and they flip and there's no talking them off of the ledge. Like, you know, if you and I got upset, you could be like, okay, calm down. I'm so sorry. Let's talk about this. And like, we would calm down to a, a natural state that doesn't happen with these, mm-hmm. with these abusers. And they go into this rage or it's almost like, yeah, it, it's almost like another personality and you just can't talk to that personality. So I can't imagine doing that for 13 years. Um, Yes. And actually, yeah. And actually I tell women all the time when when they come up and ask me, well, can they change? Well, in my marriage, we actually went to a counselor and he got um, diagnosed as, you know, um, a manic depressive uh, bipolar with schizophrenic tendencies. And they put him on medication. And for the two years that he was on the medication, was probably the best years of our marriage ever. He was a really good father. He was a really good husband, but something in him decided he didn't need that medication anymore. He didn't need to do this anymore. And it was suppressing. He actually said this, this is, this was suppressing the real him. Yeah, because the real him probably has a personality disorder, like a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath. Mm -hmm. Those are people that just don't have empathy. And they also feel like nothing is wrong with them. They're grandiose. I it's me, 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 me. And so yeah, that that uh that makes a lot of sense. I've heard a lot of where they're diagnosed with other things, but then when you take the personality disorder and their lack of empathy, that's when it gets Mm -hmm. scary. They don't have empathy. They don't feel what you feel, or they don't care to feel what you feel. And that's, that's when you get into a scary situation. Yes. And, and it ended up uh, when he came off the medication, I was in a way worse situation than I was before. Um, The abuse just escalated a whole lot more. And But even then, I tell women all the time, it's sad for me to say this, but it's the truth. I didn't leave him over the abuse. I I left him because he was cheating. Somehow inside of me, I kind of figured I deserved what was going on within, you know, how he treated me. 
but I didn't figure I deserved cheating. And, and that's the mindset that a lot of us get into when we get stuck in that victimhood yes. of, you know, a pattern of, I deserve this. It, it, I felt that way my whole life, you know, I deserved what very little I got. And the, the cheating was the thing that broke the camel's back. You know, I just, I, also I could think not with, handle that. With cheating too, it's so tangible and people, people, you know, when you tell people that you're being abused, like nobody wants to talk about it and people kind of shun you in society as a victim, especially if it's just mental and emotional, but even physical abuse, like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. You should go to counseling. You should do this, which you shouldn't, you should probably leave. But then when you have cheating, everyone's like, oh, that's so bad. That's terrible. You should leave him. Mm-hmm. And so you feel more validated when you tell people that they're cheating. And that's so unfortunate. Yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, because even in my own church, uh, you know, we went to the pastor for help over the abuse and you get told, I got told, you know, to um, stick it out. It's marriage. And when we called the police, it was during that time that, you know, we don't have the laws we have now. So the police would come in and go, well, it takes two to fight you two need to work this out. But um, you're right, when it came to the cheating, then everybody in the church was like, oh, divorce him, you know, oh, you you know, that's against God's laws. Well, it's against God's laws to be physically abusing your spouse as well. So um, I think you're, you're exactly right. It's how we look at it as a society that made it just easier to walk away um, with him cheating than it was with him abusing us. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. And luckily, I mean, I think we're coming a long way when it comes to domestic violence, but we have such a long way to go. <laughs> yes. yes, Such a long do. way to go. Um, wow. So, so here, you know, there you go. It's, it's patterns, repeating patterns. And even though, you know, you said that your mom comes from a sexual abuse background, it's still abuse and it's mm-hmm. this cycle that gets passed down from generations. And it's really having to make a spiritual break, a, a break within you for this cycle to end and really doing soul searching, which I know you said when we talked and we can get there, but you said you kind of did this once, you know, this cycle kind of repeated in your life. If you want to go ahead and tell us yes. a little bit about what happened with your daughter. Yes. So um, I tell people all the time, you know, my, my daughters lived this with me. When um, I divorced their father, my youngest daughter was 10, my oldest one was 13, and I didn't think I really had to talk about what went on with them because they lived it with me, you know, and I, I was really confident as a mom, especially my youngest child, she was um, very much, you know, I hate to call her my mini me because she excelled me even more than, you know, on everything. She was, she, she was confident within herself and she was a straight A student and she played softball and she was in cheerleading. She, you know, did everything, this kid. And, and, um, the other daughter excelled in many things as well. She did, she wasn't, you know, overall, most of the time, a a student she always had one B somewhere and and she would work really hard and you know captain of the color guard and I just my daughters were doing well and I had remarried a very 
loving man who made it very clear that, you know, number one, he wasn't going to abuse us. And, and number two, when he came in, he was going to be their father. And they accepted him as their father. I mean, and they called him dad. Um, and their father, when we divorced, actually tried to take the kids and run off with them. He had remarried and he remarried a younger woman who was only barely 18 and four years older than our oldest daughter. And he took off with them one summer and he wasn't coming back. And I actually had to call his parents and his father went and got my children for me. So wow. his son wouldn't go to jail. And after that, my daughters would never go see their biological father again because they didn't trust him. Yeah. And wow. so um, instead they ex ex accepted my husband I have now. And it, it was so sweet because he loves to tell the story of, you know, before he proposed to me, he asked the girls permission to marry me. And Rachel, my oldest daughter, naturally said, oh, yes. And she was very, very happy. And Ashley gave him two conditions. Ashley said, I got two conditions for you. You never let, um, never let my biological father near me again. And don't ever hit my mother. Aww. And so he promised her those things. And um, so we just, we thought we were like living the good life. We thought we were really beyond all this. I thought I had broke the cycle then, but there were certain things I should have talked to them more about. I had no idea um, this powder keg within Ashley was growing that she had some of the same insecurities going from what she suffered watching me be abused and the things that her biological father said to her of course she wasn't good enough she wasn't pretty enough he he gave her a hard time about and um, Ashley was tone deaf and so she had a um Ashley had a speech impediment. She couldn't say her R's correctly. And she had to overcome that. She worked real hard with speech therapy. And then um, she started taking choir in school, trying to overcome her, her um, tone deafness. And he would tell her all the time, just give up, quit singing, quit trying, you're stupid. And um, I didn't even think about how that psychologically appeared to affect her because out on the outward appearances, she overcame all these things. She overcame the speech impediment. She went on to learn how to sing and um, was scoring, you know, she was in UIL competitions, winning first place for her singing, winning state competitions for singing. And she's singing in the choir and all she wants to do is become a singer, you know? Yeah. So, um, I didn't realize inside she had buried some of that stuff, that little, you know, that real recording, I call it, in the back of your head when somebody places those words that just never die. She's repeating them. And in her dating life, I'm not worried about her because she's coming home through high school going, oh, I broke up with this boy because um, he called me fat or he didn't like my friends. So I got rid of him but her relationships weren't lasting long. And I just thought as a parent, well, no problem. She's in high school. She doesn't need a serious relationship, right? And uh, 
she gets out of high school and into college and she goes to work and she has a bunch of friends who introduce her to Josh and Josh uh, is almost 10 years her junior. Wow. Okay. And he, he tells her all the things that, and does all the things that all these other boys never did. Of course, he's more mature. Yes. You know? And um, so he's, he's like, I love you. You're beautiful. You're talented. You know, um, all, all these things she wants to hear. And uh, so their relationship was like on a super fast mode. It wasn't, I couldn't even compare it to mine because everything in theirs ran so quickly. And the reason I understand why it did now is because he had history. Yes. He, he had a history and a, a long history uh, that we weren't aware of until Ashley tries to leave him. And so he knows the system. He knows how to get away with things. He knows exactly what he's doing. And we weren't even prepared for this level of what was going to happen with Ashley. I say this all the time on my YouTube channel in that very first phase of idealization, honeymoon phase of the cycle of abuse, they move very quickly and and also just Mm -hmm woos her right and sucks her into to the vortex Mm -hmm. of and and makes her believe this fantasy and this facade that he has and it's Mm -hmm. really hard for the victim to see that um once it's happened to them and that makes so much sense they they move very 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 quick you're right they're professionals at this Uh yes and he was so we went from the meeting in november to by Christmas Day, he comes over, you know, he's met the family twice now, and he comes over Christmas Day to celebrate Christmas, and we get an announcement of, um, she's moving in with him. She's leaving and moving in with him Christmas Day wow. after we open all our presents, and I'm like, now wait, what, <laughs> you know, and, um, she's all happy and I'm trying to talk her out of it but she she goes you know she packs up a few things and she goes with him and she's happy to move in with him and he lives about an hour and a half away from us and he his best friend um lives with them now actually um you know in your worst nightmare they called him Scott because his first name is Joshua also (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes so his last name is Scott so in order to separate the two um yeah that's grand um in order to separate the two they uh they had to go by his last name so i will do that as well um here because it's just easier but scott was his best friend and lived with him and was a roommate so ashley actually moved in with both these young men you know with uh, with joshua and his best friend and um I didn't know exactly what was going on, but Ashley did call me every day. I mean, she's a kid who calls every day and, and talks to me. We were not just parents, but I'm her friend, you know, as much as a, I'm always her mom first. Don't get yes. me wrong. But <laughs> with an adult child, you establish a, a friendship type of relationship as well. And she just turned 20. And um, 
I know something's going wrong because we're paying her phone bill. And then all of a sudden, you know, come in January, uh, she's lost a phone. And then a couple of weeks later, the phone got broke on accident. And a few weeks later, we're talking, you know, towards the end of February, um, they think the phone got stolen. And I'm like, we've replaced three phones in a month's time. Yeah. Well, it, it's sending off flags in my head, you know, what, what's really going on. And we're heading into March and March is um, my birthday. And actually Josh and I have the same birthday in March. Wow. Yeah. And so my daughters were like, what do you want for your birthday this year? I said, well, I would like to have time with my daughters and their boyfriends. Rachel's been dating. My oldest daughter, Rachel, had been dating the same man for about two years. And um, hers, Ashley, with her boyfriend. So we decided on um, St. Patrick's Day. We all went out together, all, all six of us. And we went to dinner. And we went bowling. And we're having a really good time. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, Josh gets down on one knee and proposes to her. Wow. And my heart just sunk. I was like, oh, God, no, please, no. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's you could see on all our faces. All of us are like, oh, no. It's a parent's worst nightmare. That's like, mm -hmm. and, you know, regardless of, you know, I know what happens here, but, you know, regardless of that, that's just so soon for a 20 year old that doesn't hasn't had any experience in relationships and just, oh, I can only mm -hmm. imagine how you felt. Well, and we knew he had been married twice before. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I was like, boy, they are, this is rushing it. She's on, this is November to March. And this sure is rushing it. And she's just so excited. You know, I, I couldn't burst her bubble in that moment. So we're putting on a fake face for every one of us was even her sister and because we know something's not right with him but nobody could put their finger on it and a couple days later on my actual birthday on the 21st his too I get a phone call late at night and it's Ashley and she's crying and she's crying from a bathroom and she's at a party and she doesn't know where she is um, she doesn't know exactly whose place she's at. She's drunk and she's crying that Josh put a cigarette out in her face. Oh, wow. And you talk about terrified because I'm trying to figure out where she is so I can come get her and there's just no way. And all of a sudden my other line starts beeping and guess who it is? It's Josh. And I think, my God, he has some balls, you know, <laughs> he's calling me. So I told Ashley, I said, Josh is calling me. I will call you back. I got a few words for this young man. <laughs> and I click over to him. I said, Josh, where are you? I want to know where you are. Whatever Ashley's telling you, it's a lie. It's a lie. Josh, where are you guys? It's a lie. I didn't, I didn't burn her on purpose. I said, okay, are you drunk? And he says, yes. I said, what in the world is going on? He said, oh, I flicked the cigarette at her 
joking and it hit her in the face. I didn't put it out in her face. And, and, and we're just drunk. We're just drunk. And here, here, here's one of my friends. And of course he puts the roommate on and he goes, yeah, we're just all drunk. And Ashley's just upset. If you would talk her out of the bathroom, please, you know, and I'm thinking, good God, what am I supposed to do? I can't get to her. They're at this party. None of them are taking this serious is what I'm thinking. And how am I going to get her out of this? And so I told Josh, I said, yeah, I'll talk to her. And I talked to Ashley and I said, Ashley, baby, tell me, tell me the truth. What's going on? And she's like, mom, he, he, he just flicked it at me. It's okay. It's okay. We're just drunk. We're going to go home and sleep this off. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, fine, but I want you I want you at my house this weekend. I'm going to see you this weekend. And, you know, the weekend's only two days away. I'm like, I'm going to see you, and I want to see Josh, and you both better be here, or I'll come get you, <laughs> you know? And um, she said, okay, and she promised. And I, I left it at that thinking, yeah, if I find out he really put that cigarette, you know, if I can see her and talk to her and talk to her alone, I can find out the truth when she gets here is along the lines of what I'm thinking. I didn't have a clue that Josh at the party after he hung up the phone with us and Ashley, you know, Ashley opened the door. He went in there and put Ashley's head through a wall. Uh at the party and he took up everyone's phones and so they couldn't call the police evidently it was a small gathering there was only like six of them and then he started crying according to Ashley that he was so sorry that he did all this that he started stabbing himself with a pen knife in front of everybody and freaking everybody out oh yeah I gotta make himself the victim now yep and yes, and so they finally, you know, Scott convinces them to leave and go home and he drives them all home. And the friend who had the party it did, did end up calling the police as soon as they left. But because they didn't know where Ashton and Josh lived, the police didn't do anything about it because they didn't have an address to go check. So we ended up, the weekend came and I talked to Ashley and I could see this burn on her face and she's swearing it was an accident and they were drunk. And that's when I, her and I had that real talk of, you know, the talk I really should have had with her. I felt like, you know, years before now, you know, of what relationships really should look like. And if you're in this, but she's already in this relationship. There's no way out for her now. She's already in it. And he's already convinced her he's going to kill her if she leaves. And I don't know any of this. She's just still sucking everything up into this big ball of this is so wonderful to everybody. You know, yes. this whole facade. And in the meantime, my husband's having the talk with Josh outside, letting him know that if he finds out anything like that happens again, Josh is pretty much a dead man right yeah <laughs> and um so that you know they left and I just I knew 
I knew this was not going to end well. I had, from that moment on, things escalated even quicker because we go from there the end of March to the end of April, all of a sudden she's pregnant. And, And she's like, well, I said, you were on the pill. You know, I took her to get her on the pill. And um, she's like, well, Josh wanted a baby. He took my pills away. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, she had to quit her job. Um, Things like, uh, because he was calling up there at work so much to check on her. I wanted to know every second of every day where she was. She had to quit her job. They couldn't put up with that kind of, you know, atmosphere at that that place of work. It was a call center. So for him to keep calling up there, wanting to know where she was and what she was doing, just they released her from her work. Oh, that's so sad. And that happens so much. Like they control every aspect of your life, Mm -hmm. every aspect. And, you know, it's, and it's so unfortunate because eventually when you lose all of it, then you're just so dependent on the Mm -hmm. abuser, you know, and it's just part of their tactic. And so that's so unfortunate that that happened too. And just, yeah, it's hard. Well, and then he, she went and tried to get another job and she, she actually worked at a local McDonald's for all of a week and he busted out her windshield so she couldn't go to work. Uh, and we had to replace that windshield, you know, it was, and he kept blaming everything at this point when the windshield happened, we knew he was, you know, hitting her and abusing her and. We're trying to get her to come to terms with admitting it, but she's coming back with us that Josh had seizures. And the seizures were caused from evidently an incident he had when he was 18. He got into a fight with another young man who hit him in the head with a pipe. And, you know, we were talking to his mom at this point, and his mom confirmed all that, that Josh had to, like, learn how to talk and walk again, and he had, like, a metal plate put in his head because it was so bad and so he had seizures and but he had seizures because you know once we got involved in it and we're going to the hospital with him it's because he was drinking it was because he was doing drugs and his they told him he couldn't do those kinds of things and he needed to be on anti-seizure medicine and Ashley again is I felt like it was deja vu because here's the kid going I can fix him. I can help him. He needs me. This isn't his fault. You know, um, he just needs help. And so we had a real serious talk the last time he was in the hospital with his mom. And again, my husband's talking to Josh privately and I'm talking to his mom with my daughter. And I knew my daughter was in real trouble because all of a sudden his mom tells me, well, your daughter wouldn't get hit if she wasn't so mouthy. Oh, wow. And I thought it took everything I had not to (laughs) (laughs) knock her out right there myself. You know, I was like, are you serious? Yeah. She's she's mouthy and that so she deserves to get hit. That's what you're telling me. 
it's, and it's like, it's just so enabling. And then also, but you know, that's for the mom to have to admit that her son is doing this. That means so much that she's going to have to admit within herself and it, and then her cycles and, Mm -hmm. and it's just so complex, but yes, so common that these people enable the abuser. It's so sad. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just, uh, you know, it, it was, it was something. And Ashley, come by May, you know, Mother's Day, she's supposed to show up Mother's Day. And she didn't, she called and said, well, they got, you know, stuck at his mom's house and she comes see me the next day. And I waited for her and she wasn't there and she was, wasn't answering her phone. And I got to a point, like, I was like, I'm going to go get her. Something's wrong. I'm going to go get her. About halfway traveling there, she comes flying by me the other direction. She didn't see me, so I turned around, came home, and she had left Josh and um, said she was coming home. And I thought, oh, great, you know. And uh, she was at our home for about a week. Calling. He wants to make up and go back. He says he's going to go get help. He started church. He's, he's doing all these things. He wants her back. And on that fri- on a Friday night, she's been there a week. He, he calls and says, can I come over and talk with you and Jim? And I'm like, well, Jim isn't here. He, 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 my husband is a truck driver at the time. And, and he'll be home tomorrow. So come tomorrow. Well, him and that roommate, Scott, showed up anyway at 1030 at night, trying to break into my house. Oh. And my dogs are going off and we're calling 911 and she's screaming at him to go away. And the police show up and they he, he takes off on foot and he left his friend there to hold the bag, you know. <laughs> and um, the guy's like, we just came over to talk to Ashley and stuff and and uh, so the police didn't do anything. They didn't charge him. And Josh took off and um, Scott calls her later the next day. Josh has had a seizure and they found him in a ditch and he could die. And, and Ashley's screaming at him, what do you care? You know, you, you're supposed to be my friend and you're watching this all happen to me and you're not helping me. And I heard that and I thought, well, what in the world is going on? So she sat down and talked to me about how, you know, Josh would beat her in front of Scott and Scott wouldn't do anything to help her. And um, I was like, maybe you can't go back to this, you know, but of course he convinces her, you know, he's in the hospital, he's going to die. And she left the house and I, I told her, I said, baby, you're always welcome here, but he is not welcome here. You, I hope you come to your senses and realize you got to leave him. So she goes back and that during that time period, she, you know, before that, she was still calling me every day. She wasn't calling me anymore for about two weeks. She didn't call me and it turned into a big explosion on Facebook that's how that kicked off was Facebook on her page all of a sudden she typed up this long thing that was like mom is this mom is that mom's the b word and a bunch of you know it was just untruthful crap and I was and my family's all notifying me going what's going on 
and half of my family's going that's not Ashley talking yeah that's and I'm looking at it and I'm like you know Ashley's not the kid to call me that it it can't be and people were calling him out on Facebook we know this is you Josh this is not Ashley Ashley doesn't misspell words (laughs) and Ashley doesn't talk like that and um we know it's you and so two days later after that we get I get a call from Josh and Josh is like is Ashley there and I'm like no why would she be here oh well she left and I'm thinking yeah yay I'm like the minute I hung up that phone I was like jumping for joy you know she left him <laughs> praise Jesus you know? yes like, yay she left him and um I'm thinking I'm going to get a phone call from her any minute or she's going to show up and the next day goes by and all I'm getting is still text messages and calls from him and I'm thinking this can't be good what in the world is going on and the time is getting more and more out and and he's starting to say stupid things like they lived right next to the one of the largest lakes here in this area between Texas and Oklahoma and they live on in a lake community that's not even maybe a quarter of a mile from the lake and he's saying maybe she's in the lake you want to come help me search in the lake and I thought oh Jesus he's killed her oh wow yeah that's you so know? terrifying Cause, yeah because that's that's what you think when someone starts talking like that and she's not turning up and she hasn't called me so we called the police and they said they couldn't do anything for 48 hours. And I called Josh back and I said, you got till this 48 hours, you better find my daughter. Or I'm coming for you. <clears throat> and um, we're looking and they're looking the 48 hours turns up. They put out a bolo alert for her. We're searching for her for two days. We're putting up flyers everywhere. Her face is all over the news. And I'm I'm desperate. I'm desperate. And I woke up that Friday morning after, you know, four and a half days of hell. And the phone rings and it was Ashley. Oh, wow. And I just, I lost it. I cried and cried. You know, I just, Ashley, I love you. Where are you? Well, she went to... um, Josh's mom's work she still had Josh's debit card and she didn't want to be accused of stealing it or stealing any of his money so she was dropping it off with his mother and his mother's was like people are searching for you you better call your mom <laughs> and so she called me and I said well baby you gotta see the police they won't take a bolo alert off without seeing you I can't have them take it off they have to see you to take it off and she called the police officer out there and I, I was on the phone. I said, keep me on the phone. And the officer was nice enough to even talk to me. And he said, ma'am, your daughter's really bruised up and we're going to file felony assault charges on him. And I recommend that you guys go get a protective order come Monday first thing. 
And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay. So I told Ashley, where are you? I'm coming to you. And I went straight to her. And she had like a black eye. And she had a huge bruise on her side. And you could see the handprint bruises on her arms. And uh, she had these, uh, she had this, they were rope burns on her wrist. Oh, wow. And I thought, what in the hell went on? You know, tell me. And she told me, she said they got into a fight because she had found out that he had posted that post on Facebook calling me a bitch. Yeah. And she laid into him and was going to leave him. And when she tried to leave him, um, he followed her out to her truck and he started ripping her clothes off of her in the middle of the street. Wow. And so she ran back into the house asking Scott to help and he would not help. And Josh, you know, just, he put her head through a wall. He kicked her in the stomach, told her she wasn't going with that baby and drug her by the hair into the bedroom and he tied her up. And then him and Scott proceeded to go to a party and went partying all weekend while he left her there for the weekend tied up. Wow, that's so intense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said when he came back, he told her he'd only untie her if they were going to make up. And the only way he would believe that they were going to make up was that she was going to have to have sex with him. So she told me, she said, Mom... I'll never forget how she said, she said, mom, I had to pretend. Yeah. I had to pretend in order to get untied and get let up, get loose and get, get free. And then when him and Scott went to work the next morning, she packed up all her stuff and left. And she said, I didn't come home because he said, if I came home, he was going to kill you and Rachel and rape you both in front of me before he killed me. So I can't go home. I'm with some friends and I'm hiding. So we, I did everything. You know, we went in that Monday and got her a protective order, an emergency protective order, and talked with the police more. And that's when they told us about his background. Ashley was not the first victim, like we had said before. Ashley was number eight. Wow. Yeah, and people don't realize when abuse is this bad, he's done this before. They learn mm -hmm. how to do this. They become masters at it, and it gets worse and worse and worse each time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I tell people this a lot that I, I coach and I see. I'm like, you know, it's bad. You know, this is, this is not good. They know what they're doing and it can escalate very quickly to, mm -hmm. to, you know, this story. Yeah. And he had a history and he had open warrants for the last woman that he abused that they never been able to pick him up on for two and a half years. He's been running around free. Wow. So we're, we're like, Okay, what, what do you want us to do? Well, they didn't have a shelter in that county anymore. But yet the police were telling us that she needed to stay within the county if they were going to catch him. But they did have a crisis center the next county over who serviced this county. And they put us in touch with them. And actually was getting, you know, counseling and getting help and that the crisis center provided. And 
she was hiding out with these friends and doing what the police asked for her of her and for a month uh, you know she was pretty much hidden but Josh was on for that month he was crazed he was all over Facebook he kind of him and Scott created like 20 fake Facebook accounts contacting all their friends going hey I used to go to high school with you guys do you remember me Ashley's in trouble I'd like to help her do you know where she is and we're gathering the evidence friends are sending it all to us and we're I'm gathering all the evidence for her thinking we're going to go to trial and we're going to put this guy under you know the bus you know and then it really turned because Josh knew the system and the emergency protective order only lasts for 20 days in Oklahoma. Josh knew this. Josh knew as long as they could not serve him, Ashley had to go back to court every 20 days and reapply. Yeah. Well, he, he sent Scott up there to follow her and found her. Wow. Now, Ashley had started a new job. She was trying to start this new life with new friends. And here's Josh comes crashing in. He's calling her friends. He's calling her work. And he's standing, he's having, well, actually had Scott stand outside of work and tell him what she was wearing. And then he would call her and say, I can see you. This is what you're wearing. And the police are being called out and they're adding charges. You know, they're adding stalking, they're adding harassment, they're adding violent acts, threats of violent acts. And I was thinking, my goodness, this guy's really nailing his coffin, you know? And it's just, it's escalating to a point where she is so terrified and everyone around us are so terrified. We knew she just couldn't stay where she was anymore so um and and the police even when the police came out he called in the middle of the police there taking a report one time and um the officer got on the phone with them and say josh hey why don't you just come in why don't you come in and talk to us tell us your side and all this and the, he told the officer straight up give me five minutes and i'll resolve all this five minutes alone with her and I'll kill her, kill myself, and it will be over. Wow. And so we were just we were to a point of we were way out of our element. And I'm begging her to come home and she's absolutely refusing to come home. She she I'm thinking nobody can take better care of her than me. And she's like, no, he's going to kill you. I cannot go home. And She's having problems with her pregnancy because of it, because of the stress of it all. Yeah. And so we're in and out of the doctor all the time. This is the last two weeks. And finally, the DA's office contacts me and we get into a conference call between me with the DA's office advocate and her crisis center advocate, me and Ashley and decided this is way too much. We're creating a plan. She's going to end up dead if we don't. Yeah. And so we talked to her about coming back into Texas, which is where I live, because we're right on that Texas-Oklahoma border. And Texas has a program for women like her that would help hide her, change her last name, 
put her in protective kind of custody until he is caught. More kind of like an underground railroad type of program. Yeah. For really severe cases. And so we're like, okay, let's do this. Let's go. And it's a Thursday. And we're like, I'll come get you now. And she, to her credit, God love her. I was proud of her in the moment, but now I wish, I wish so much different. She said, mom, I just can't leave today. These people here at my work have depended upon me and they've been so good to me and they didn't fire me. Let me finish out the work week and you pick me up on Saturday and we'll go. And we're all begging her to go now. And she's like, no, two more days. It'll be okay. Let me give them notice. And, you know, I'm proud that she had such a great work ethic, but she felt that way for these people. And I know that's what I instilled in her, but it, in a way it hurts to this day because it almost feels like it still cost her her life because if she would have went that day. So the next, you know, that we didn't know that that night, Thursday night, late that night, Scott had connected with his mother's ex-boyfriend, called him, said, hey, I need a ride. And Chad came out to give him a ride. And he shot Chad while he was driving. And um, he shot him like four times, real gruesomely. Um, And stole his car and all his money. And drove three hours to go pick up Joshua from where he was hiding. Josh's mom had sent him three hours into Texas to a cousin's house to hide him out from the police. So he dumped this poor man's body and he drove three hours away at night, picked up Josh for them, drive three hours back. And that Friday morning, we found out from the police because they got their phones, you know, the plans. Uh, The plan was to go to the courthouse that day. Ashley was supposed to renew that um, protective order again. We were on another 20-day cycle. And Ashley and I were supposed to be in court that day. Well, the judge decided to take an extended weekend. So he called Ashley in early. And Ashley had gone early. So they went to the courthouse, actually. And the plans were to shoot me and Ashley in the courthouse. They were going to go down in blaze of glory in the courthouse. Wow. Um, But we weren't there. And so they called Josh's mom who met him at a gas station and she saw the bloody car there's blood all over the car from them killing Chad and asked him what happened and and they told him and that they were going after Ashley next and that woman gave them gas money and money for beer and cigarettes bought them beer and cigarettes and sent them on their way wow that's so intense yeah and so they went next to Ashley's work and, and her place employer said Scott walked in there looked around didn't see her and walked back out and in the meantime that morning I'm getting on the Facebook and Scott has p- posted a picture of a gun on Facebook and so my husband and I are calling the police going they posted a picture of a gun what are you going to do? My daughter's in danger. 
can you not go escort her to work? Can you not go check on her? And they're telling us they couldn't do anything about a gun on Facebook. So I called Ashley and told her about it. And I'm like, baby, please, you know, please be careful. I'll come get you today. No, mom, I'm heading out the door to work. I'm picking up a friend. I'm going to go to work. It'll be okay. I'll be at work. And I'm like, okay, sweetie, I swear to you, something's severely wrong. They have a gun. And that's the last time I talked to her. You know, she told me she loved me. She'd be careful. And 30 minutes later, I started crying and shaking. I knew something was wrong. I knew they talk about mother's instinct. Oh, yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew something was wrong, and I was crying and screaming for no reason. My poor husband's like, it's okay, calm down. I said, no, i got to talk to her now. And I'm trying to dial her number, and every time I tried to dial it, I hit the wrong key. I was getting so frustrated that I had to hand the phone to him and tell him to dial her number. And um, when it was answered, it was one of the friends she was staying with. There were three other people in that house. And John's going, Ashley's been shot. And Josh has killed himself. And then I hear Scott in the background going, don't tell nobody I'm here. I'll kill you all. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is going I said it. I think he even audibly, what in the hell is going on? And John is like, uh, uh, and, and the phone goes dead. Wow. And what I found out is they went from work, Ashley's work to the friend's house and Josh broke in the back door when Scott and Scott broke in, no, Josh broke in the front door and Scott broke in the back door. So Ashley couldn't escape. So Ashley ran to a bathroom and tried to shut herself in. And he broke down the door and um, one of the friends saw it all. She said that, you know, he broke down the door and he, he, he hit her first between the eyes and knocked her flat in that tiny bathroom. And, and they struggled over the gun and the first shot hit her in the shoulder. And, and the second shot um, hit her in the head. But before, before that second shot, she said that, the last word she heard Ashley say audibly was she told Josh to go to hell. As I was struggling over that gun, my daughter told him to go to hell. And um, he turned the gun on himself and then he killed himself. And but Ashley was still alive. Ashley didn't die right away. So the friends are now dealing with a hostage situation. Josh is holding, you know, Scott, Josh Scott is holding them hostage. And one of the friends breaks away to call the police at a neighbor's because she, she thought maybe he had a gun too, but she didn't realize until um, a little bit later that Josh was the only one who had a gun. And so she was able to break free and she called the police. We called the police, you know, and as the police are getting there, Scott took off. And so they, they showed up and they ended up care flighting her down in Dallas. And we had to meet her at the hospital down there in Dallas. And 
all our family was there. So we spent hours the rest of that day, you know, in the hospital with her. And 50 people in the hospital with her. And um, believe it or not, I still don't know to this day, 10 years, I haven't seen my ex. And somebody called my ex and he was there. Ashley's biological father. And so you have all these elements going on of him being there now. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) And trying to act like he's her father. And, you know, um, when I saw her, I just wasn't prepared for what I had seen. It's it's something that still, it's eight years later. And it's an image you can never get out of your head. You know, to see your child like that. And you know, she's so, her eyes were so black and blue and shut and swollen. I don't think she could open them if she had wanted. Wow. You know, and she had, it looked like blood blisters all over her, you know, her face and her chest. And they said it was powder burns. Wow. And they had brown bagged her arms, clipped her elbows. And we weren't allowed to touch her hands because they said, Evidently, the powder burns from that was all evidence, and they couldn't have us touching that. Wow. And, you know, it was just ungodly. It was ungodly. You never forget things like the blood on the walls from every time they had to change her bandage from her head. It, It was just a nightmare. And you've got 50 people gaping in and out the window, I'm your family trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, they ended up bringing in, you know, specialist and they told us that, you know, they couldn't do anything surgically, that the damage to her brain was not from the bullet. It was the swelling. Uh, the, the swelling was what was killing her and they couldn't stop the swelling. And so she was on life support and it reached a point of, they said that they were going to bring in the specialist for the baby. They didn't hold out any hope for Ashley, but here in Texas, they said Ashley was 16 weeks pregnant. So they thought maybe they could keep her on life support long enough to do a C-section for the baby and maybe we'd have a grandchild. Um, and they brought specialists in, we waited for that, and the specialist came back and said, no, the problem is, is that her body's just naturally diverting all the blood to her brain, and it's cutting off blood to the baby, and they didn't hold out any hope with that, and so it was a waiting game, we were waiting for hours, and finally, around 10 o'clock, it was like 10, 18 that night. They declared her brain dead. Um, they ran these tests and she wouldn't breathe on her own. So they declared her brain dead. And the one thing the neurologist kept telling us was even in that state, the last thing to go is hearing. So she will hear everything uh, up to the very end. He said, you keep in mind that. And... Um, 
so they told us they said if she if she crashes you know with her being declared brain dead they will not resuscitate her and that we might ought to have these family members come in and say their goodbyes and clear them out of the hospital and so that's what we did i had to watch all these family members come in two by two and say goodbye to my daughter it, that that's an experience you don't ever want to see. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and um, you know, finally, when everybody was done, you know, I told I told everybody to just go. I wanted my own time with my daughter, just me with her. They needed to just leave me alone for a while. And a specialist came in while we were sitting there alone. They had a the specialist come in monitoring the baby on sonogram and um in that sonogram we're watching and I literally like describing it is just horrible that I could see my daughter named her patience my grand first grandchild's name is patience and I could see her little heartbeat just fading and it stopped and when it stopped she actually like arched inside her mom and and then collapsed and um, I looked at the nurse and said, is she gone? And she said, yes. Oh, wow. So I saw my poor little granddaughter die. And I thought, you know, Ashley is just holding on for this baby. That's what she's holding on for right now. That's, I know my daughter. And so the technician left and, and I just, I... I told Ashley, I remember trying to search for some place on her body that just wasn't covered in blood to just kiss her and touch her. And, and I told her, I said, honey, if you're holding on for your baby, you don't have to anymore. She's gone to heaven. And if this is too painful and too much for you, it's okay. You can go too. And I will be okay with that. It'll be all right. And she literally, I ain't even kidding, 10, 15 seconds, she crashed. Wow. And so I know she heard me. I believe that. And with all my heart, she heard me and went to be with her baby. So, you know, that was the ramifications of all, all, of all we had to deal with. You know, um, Scott was picked up by the police. We spent two years in courts. He was convicted of three counts of first degree murder for Chad, for Patience, and for Ashley. And he received three consecutive life sentences. He will never get out. Amanda Mahaffey, Josh's mom, she got five years for harboring for her role in it. And then, you know, Josh is dead as well. So, you know, when when we were going through all that it was really tough because that case was a death penalty case so you have the media flying at you and of course they're gonna come at you I mean you know that's what I tell people all the time it sounds like a lifetime movie yeah and it's my life <laughs> you know it's really my life but uh, of course they, they come at you what a sensational story that they can put out there of you know it's got all these elements and you're like but it but it's real 
I, um, I think you're an incredible woman and so strong. And I, my condolences go out to you and your family and these domestic violence stories are just so tragic. And, um, you know, I think it's so brave of you to put this, this story out there and to tell it, but it's a story that's needed to be told because it can help so many others and help get laws changed and just help educate people on how serious domestic violence can be. And that domestic violence and, um, and murder happen all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, and especially when the victim is ready to leave, the, vic- the victim says it's time to go. I think 70% of domestic violence murders happen, you know, within when the victim has actually made the decision to, to leave the, the relationship. And so people don't understand how serious this is. I mean, there's a reason why we have mm-hmm. these safe houses and these, you know, crisis centers and all these advocates. And unfortunately, the laws just aren't there to protect these victims. They're really there to protect the perpetrator. So I, I applaud you and just, it's, I, you know, again, my condolences, um, I, it's, it's such a, a tragic, a tragic story. But, yeah, um, and, you know, you, you think about what you, what you're going to do with it. And that's, that's part of, you know, what my case was, you know, a month out of it, I'm in bed and I just don't want to move. And we have the media coming at us and Ashley was very well, well known and widely loved I mean there was literally like about 500 people at her funeral and there were people standing outside you know they couldn't get in and a friend of Ashley's created a rest in peace page for her on Facebook and she turned it over to me and let me you know use it and all of a sudden I started getting messages in that month of women who'd left because girls we knew you know these were girls I knew who grew up with my daughter who'd left because of what happened to Ashley left their abusers and then I started getting messages of well I need help leaving my abuser and I'm sitting here going I can barely help myself out of bed (laughs) and and but this girl needs my help and so um I really I'm a person of faith I took it to God and 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 I will never forget that day of you know I decided to get up that Monday morning and I went to my local church and and went straight up to the altar and decided I was going to have it out with God. I just started screaming, why, why? I wanted to answer why, why my daughter, why this way? Why are these other girls enduring this? Why are am I the only person who can help them? Why, why, why? And I decided I was going to be there till I got an answer. And I literally was in church for six hours before I even knew it, just screaming and yelling and crying until I was just spent. And, um, you know, in that moment, I just, I got some calm and quietness within myself and said, I just want to hear your voice, Lord. Just tell me what you want from me. So I said, I'm going to open this Bible. And the first thing I read, when I open it, it, I'm going to take that as from you. And so I opened it to a passage in Joel that said, come to me in your morning with prayer and fasting, and I will comfort you. And I was just blown away reading those words. I'm a little bit defiant even still. I mean, okay, God, I'll try you. 
I'll try you. You will see if you comfort me because I just couldn't see how anything could comfort me in that moment in time. I've lost a daughter and my granddaughter and everything future generation lies with her. And I said, well, I'll try you. And then as I'm walking out, I said, <laughs> and you have to be really careful what you say to God in those moments. Cause I said, you know, Ashley had a great purpose in this life and whatever it was, I'll do it if you send it to me, but you have to send it to me or I'm not going to do this. And I walked out and went home and went back to bed. And that night I had this dream and I dreamt that I was before millions of people on the stage. I mean, millions and telling my daughter's story. And when I walked off the stage, there was my daughter. And I will tell you that, you know, to me, it, she wasn't a part of the dream. She was real. I could touch her. I could feel her. She was the light. I believe it was my daughter. And she hugged me and she said, mom, this is what God wants you to do now. And I woke up from that dream and I was just yelling, no, no, <laughs> me to speak on a stage. Um, I'm not doing this. I'm not a speaker. You've got the wrong person. Um, I thought I'd lost my mind <laughs> and, and I went back to sleep and, Later that morning, a girlfriend called me who I hadn't talked to in three years. And she said, Tara, I know you've only been like a month out of Ashley passing, but I'm doing a women's conference in five months. And I would really love for you to come and tell Ashley's story and speak at it. Would you consider it? Wow. And I, and I thought, I have to say yes, don't I? And I said the words. I said, if he brought it to me. And then Ashley's telling me this is what he wants from you. I wouldn't have said yes if I wouldn't have had that dream. I would have never said yes. And I would never would have thought this is what God had in store for me. But I will tell you, after eight years of doing it, it, it has blessed me. It has helped with my healing. And now I have like millions literally millions especially from the worst nightmare it's literally millions of people from out, throughout the world who've contacted me who have seen that that's fantastic and uh now there's so many other women out there who i've helped who now call me mom so i've gained daughters you know and and god has blessed me you know with granddaughters my oldest daughter married and when she married she married someone who had three daughters from a previous marriage and now I have two granddaughters from them and I have all these generations of girls and this cycle ends here I'm declaring it it ends That's amazing here. absolutely and, and the, the, these granddaughters are my future generations of women that we're going to stand against this and so that's what I want to encourage other families out there to do, you know, by telling Ashley's story is that it, it can, you can declare it, you can end it here. You know, I went from a victim to a survivor and then what I consider, you know, a thriver, someone who thrives under the adversity. But now I realize that God has turned me into a warrior. Yes, and I love it. 
I, I, there's a special class of a survivor of women who go on to that, that we are warriors against this and against everything against it as daughters and children uh, of, of God. We are a warrior class who will stand against this firmly because this is not what the father has designed. He has a special place in his heart for his daughters. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm here to declare that for women to hear that and that the sum of what some man or your father or your boyfriend or grandfather, whatever they have done to you is not the sum of God's love. It's bigger than that. I think that is amazing. And you inspire me to, to be a warrior. I'm on my journey now as, you know, a domestic Mm -hmm. violence survivor myself. And, you know, I used to be an advocate before I was a domestic violence survivor. And, you know, here I am doing my podcast and my YouTube channel, but, you know, you've inspired me to, to want to keep pushing and keep pushing hard to inspire other people and help them break free of their abuse. And really, you know, my focus is breaking people, you know, helping people break the cycle and looking at the patterns in life and spiritually breaking the, the bond and, and, you know, the, the generational pass down of this, this abuse. And so thank you. I appreciate you so, 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 so much for coming here and telling your story. It is fascinating story. It's heartbreaking, but so empowering at the same time. I know that you have, um, the Ashley page patients project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And I'll make sure to post links below in case anybody needs any help or wants to come and find you as well. Sure. Um, the Ashley's patients project is, you know, it's just a small, um, organization that's basically a, a memorial to her and her legacy, you know, of something bigger than violence. And, um, so people know, you know, of course, I spelled her name differently. It's A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, Ashley. Um, and Patience, like the virtue. And you can look it up, um, ashleypatienceproject.com. And we have a Facebook page as well. But um, that that organization, you know, I, I use to help tell her story and, and promote, you know, awareness and education. But now I'm also, I'm the board president of a national organization that's turning international right now called Break the Silence Against Domestic Violence. I love that. And so, you know, like I said, those bigger plans that God, you know, promotes you to be, help be a warrior. Yeah, uh, I'm the board president of that organization now. And we do all kinds of stuff through that organization, like sister survivor retreats, Um we do retreats for families like mine that we call angel families. Right now we are doing a holidays of hope program, which provides Christmas for the children that survived um, domestic violence where their parents didn't, you know, mom's dead or dad's dead or dad's in jail. And so many of these children are being raised by grandparents who are on fixed incomes. So we're helping to provide Christmas for them. And um, there's, we have a scholarship program through that organization as well for, for survivors to go back to school. And um, there's all kinds of new things in the works with that organization as well. And you can volunteer through that organization too. So I'll make sure to post uh, those links below as well for anybody that wants to volunteer um, and volunteer. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a great organization, and I'm glad to be a part of it to help build it because that organization, you know, a- Ashley's organization is more about legacy, and that this organization is like Break the Silence is really about, you know, service and helping to provide services for survivors. I think that's amazing. I could sit here and listen to this story all day. I'm, I guess I'm intrigued. Um, I think for me, I, you know, like I said, it helps, it helps me. And I'm just, I'm thankful I, I survived, you know, and, and got out and, um, there's, and it's just, I hope that so many people find the strength to leave before it gets to a point where, you know, it can turn to murder. And there are, there are, you know, there is help out there. There's, there's safe Mm -hmm. homes, there's, there's crisis centers, there's, you know, so much for people. And I don't think people realize that. And so I hope, I hope we've empowered people here today to, you know, take that power, take, take that power back and, and save your life. And, and, and it's a beautiful life on the other side. Once you, once you, you know, go from victim to survivor, and then, as you said, survivor to thriver, and hopefully, you know, uh, thriver to warrior there's, it's just, it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a very happy holiday and I hope you come back and see us again. Oh, I I would like to do that. Yes. I, um, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tara, it was such an honor to have you in the garden with me. You're such an inspiration to me and to all survivors of domestic violence around the world. Thank you, thank you for being here today. For those of you who would like to know more about Ashley's story, you can go to ashleyspatienceproject.com or you can also go to breakthesilencedv.org or click on the link below. If you're new to my podcast and would like to come find me, you can come find me at The Divine Self on YouTube or on my website at divine-self.com. I am also on Facebook and now on Twitter at The Divine Self. On next week's episode, I have my friend Megan here joining me to talk about her story of breaking free of, of narcissistic abuse and how to survive and thrive after toxic relationships. Until next time. Have a good evening.